So me and my wife bought a home recently. As a matter of fact, we bought it, in, well, technically speaking, we bought it last October. They, built, they started building it in December, and we closed on it in May. So there you go. That's when we, we purchased the house, put the down payment down, and now this house is ours, and, unless you ask the bank, and then they'll tell you it's theirs. Uh, but regardless if you know, we have a new house or an old house, all houses need work. All houses need work, and Kayla and I came to that conclusion very quickly after it rained about two and a half, three weeks ago, and we walk into the bathroom, and through one of the inlet vents from the outside, rain just comes pouring through our bathroom and just starts pouring. But the great thing is it poured right into the toilet, so if there is a grace and a mercy, it landed in the only spot where water should be going in a house, and uh, we knew at that moment, man... It doesn't matter if you have a brand new house or if you have a house that's 100 years old. All homes need work. And the great thing about us living in America, we are always ready and willing to pour out some money to make our homes look better. As a matter of fact, between 2017 and 2019, Americans spent $522 billion on home improvements. Isn't that crazy? And if you thought COVID slowed that down, between March 1st of 2020 and mid-August of 2020, almost two-thirds of all Americans surveyed did home improvements in their homes. And of course, that is expected to rise. If you drive around New Braunfels at all, you see people flipping homes, building homes, moving homes. I mean, anything you can do with a home in New Braunfels, people are doing it right now. But you know, it got me thinking... You know, we're always willing to work on our homes. We're always willing to go the extra mile when it comes to our homes. We're, we're even willing to overlook the pains, uh, the discomforts, the inconveniences that go with making sure our homes are built, are repaired, are taken care of. And it had me thinking about what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. You can flip there in your Bible. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 uh, in verses 24 through 27, and it really got me thinking about the reality that as Christians, we always have to be working to build God's church. As Christians, you and I, we have to be willing to deal with any inconveniences or the discomforts that come with serving and building God's church because that's what we're called to do as Christians, is to build the church that Christ had founded and purchased with his own life. And we would take a great note from the Apostle Paul to do it in a certain way. Because Paul says, even in verse 24, he says that he does this rejoicing. And so I want to challenge you uh, this morning to consider or reconsider the way in which you serve God's church. That it should be sacrificial. That it should be a little inconvenient to serve God's church, right? It should bring you some inconveniences. Serving God's church should, in times, bring you discomfort. And it should make you uncomfortable because you're having to say no to so many things that you used to say yes to because now you're having to invest in building God's church. And so I want to encourage you that as we do that, we need to, like Paul, we need to rejoice, in the sufferings and the discomforts that we go through in building God's church, because we know, as Paul knew, that we have a stewardship. 
that we have a responsibility that God has given you and me to make his name known in this world. And God has decided to do that through his church. And so for you and for me who are so willing to pour out thousands and thousands of dollars every single year to improve our homes, let's consider this morning to spend time and finances and our lives and our families to invest and build God's church. You see, there is a warning in Scripture, as a matter of fact, uh, over and over again in Scripture, uh, we're reminded that neglecting our stewardship and neglecting our responsibility to serve God's church will keep us from living in God's will for our lives today. And I know when I use the word God's will, ears perk up and eyes open real wide because everybody wants to know what God's will is in our lives. And to be frank with you, I want you to understand that serving in God's church is God's will for your life. So when you say, you know, I just don't feel like I'm being purposed. I don't feel like I'm being fulfilled. And, you know, the question has to be asked, are you serving God's church? Because if you're not serving God's church, that's exactly where God has called all Christians to live among, right? We, called, we said it last week, the ecclesia, the called out. And so if you're a Christian, you don't exist outside of the church. And if we don't exist outside of the church, all Christians exist in what we call the organism of the church, then we ought to be investing our lives in the church. And so when we're not doing that, of course we don't feel fulfilled. Of course we don't feel purposed the way that God has called us to do because God has called us to work among and invest in the people of God in the work that God is doing in the church. And so we have that responsibility. And neglecting that, you're going to find yourself missing out on God's will for your life now. But I would, uh, I would bet that something even worse is going to happen. Even worse than missing out on God's will for your life now, uh, neglecting your responsibility to serve God's church is going to keep you from receiving eternal rewards that is promised to those who are good stewards of those things that God has given us. See, he's given us resources, and uh, like the, the parable of the talents, God has given us resources for us to use for him. And there will become a time where we stand before God, and he's going to ask you, what have you done with what I have given you? And we're all going to stand to give an account to God for the way that we stewarded the resources of God. The Apostle Paul gives us a lesson this morning in how we can steward what God has given us in a way that we will be in God's will today and that we receive the reward of a faithful servant in eternity. As uh, Pastor Evan had just written, or just written, he did not write the Bible, Paul did. <laughs> As Pastor Evan just had read, I want us to look here about the sacrifice that Paul had made uh, and the sacrifice that he knew very well of what it took to serve God's church well and how we can learn well how to sacrifice better for God's church. Uh, look at verse 23b. I know we're going to start in 24, but I want you to look back last week because uh, this section of Scripture, this pericope here, did not actually start in verse 24. It actually started in verse 23. We have to know something about verse 23 before we can get into the rest of these texts, and it's this. I abbreviated it by saying this, that I, Paul, became a minister of the gospel. That's what you need to know before we jump into these next few verses, is that Paul said, I became a minister of the gospel. And that word minister there is actually almost never used in our American culture uh, to explain anything outside of the church. 
Uh, but I want you to understand that the word minister hasn't always been relegated only to work in the church. Uh, if you are a Harry Potter fan in here, you when you watch Harry Potter and they say that they are over, uh, there's people who are leading in the ministry of magic, right? You understand that they're not pastors in Hogwarts uh, shepherding the flock, right? Okay, that word means something, right? That word minister means something. When you go to England or you go into other uh, countries, uh, I'm in Australia. You have a lot of the uh, government agencies called ministries. Okay, they're called ministries because the word minister, right, means servant. And so the ministry means it's a place of service. So I want us to understand, even in the Greek here, when we see the word minister, it's the Greek word diakonos, right? Diakonos is where we also get the word transliterated into the English language, deacon. Okay, now. We're not going to get into all the deacons, but I want you just to see the word minister means servant. And it's the Greek word, diakonos. And really, in the Greek, diakonos is literally translated someone who waits tables. So when Paul is saying, I, Paul, became a minister of the gospel, and some of you in here are like, I hate Paul. He's chauvinistic. He's just all about himself and all these things. Like, and, and when he says minister, he must be putting himself on a pedestal of some type of, uh, of he's just the bestest of everyone. And no, what he's saying here is, I, Paul, became a servant. I became a table waiter of the gospel. Uh, if you go back even further uh, in ancient times, the, the word diakonos was often used uh, as an errand boy. That you're, not just, you're not just waiting tables, you're now someone's errand boy. Now you're just, you're just going out and you're doing whatever they ask you to do. You sit there beside the master and you just look at him and he tells you what he wants you to do, how he wants you to do it, and when he wants you to do it. And he says, uh, jump, you say, how high, right? That's the concept of uh, diakonos in the Greek, that Paul says that I'm an errand boy of the gospel. You know, I'm, I'm no flashy, awesome pastor of a megachurch. I'm just an errand boy of the gospel. You see, I want to give you this meaning in a context. So if you can, in your Bible, go ahead and flip over to John uh, chapter 2. John chapter 2 will be in the first five verses. I just want to show you this word in context so we can drill this home. When you see the word minister, or if you are really good in your Greek interlinear, every time you see that word diakonos, you will understand that this word means servant. And here's the context in which it means that. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Here on verse 1, it says, On the third day, and we're, talk, we're at the wedding at Cana, right? we're at Jesus' first miracle, and he says this, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus says to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? That's just how I say it. Woman, what does this have to do with me? I don't think that's the tone he used with his mother. but My hour has not yet come. And this is what I want you to see here in verse 5. His mother said to the servants. You know what that word is in Greek? Dakonos. There it is. So that word servants, it's used differently. It's translated word minister there in uh, Colossians. But here the same word right there, servants, dakonos. And his mom said to the dakonos, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Right? That is the work of a dakonos, to do whatever he tells you. To do, And so here, when we read that Paul is a minister of the gospel, he's saying, I'm a servant of the gospel, and really, as a matter of fact, all I'm here is to do 
whatever the master tells me to do. And so we see that. And so Paul has come. He's, he's introducing himself as the apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's a servant of this. And he, here's what he says. Here's what, here's what servanthood takes. Here's what it takes to serve the master, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says it right here in verse 24. He says, I am a servant of the gospel, and I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So what we need to see here is what Paul had to go through to be a servant. And this is what you need to understand, what you're going to go through when you're a servant. You know, Paul, when he wrote this letter, do you know where he was at? He was at Cancun, right, on the beach, laying back, writing down this letter to the Colossians. and said, you just cannot believe the life I get to live here. Now, it is amazing. The Lord has blessed me. I've gotten all the things I've ever needed in my entire life. No, he's not in Cancun. He's actually in prison. Right? Paul's in prison for being a servant of the gospel. Paul is actually in prison because he's been preaching the gospel and people didn't like that. So they put him in prison. So Paul is pinning this letter in prison. And I want you for a moment to put yourself in Paul's sandals. Okay, Put yourself in his sandals with me for a moment and just understand that Paul is speaking of serving God's church. He's speaking of going all in and going all out for the Lord while he is sitting in prison. And there's some of us in here who, who we're not going to serve on Sunday morning because we might have to get up 30 minutes earlier. But Paul says, I, you know, whether I'm in great despair, whether I have plenty, whether I have nothing, I'm going to give my life to the Lord in all the things I do, knowing that he's going to give me the strength to accomplish what he has called me to do. I just want you to notice that he's a minister. And his ministry, his servant, his place in serving God's church requires Suffering, And I, was, I want to remind you this morning that in our ministry, in our serving God's church, there is in so many ways going to be sufferings in our life. And I'm not saying you're going to be in prison. I'm not saying you're going to get a ticket because you're a Christian. I'm not saying you're going to get booted out of your neighborhood because you're a Christian. But what I'm saying that you committing to serving God's church, you're going to suffer. And what I mean by that is, you know what I mean by that, because there's a lot of things you don't do. Right? You don't give an extra evening to life group. Right? You don't serve on the setup and teardown team at 6 in the morning to come set up the church on the weekends, because you know that you're going to be a little more tired. You know that it's going to make you say no to some things you were going to say yes to. Right? Serving God's church, right? stepping out and, and sacrificing for one another, often causes you to be sacrificial in the way you serve. So although uh, the degree in which we suffer from the Apostle Paul is, is great, uh, the principle is the same, that all of us who are going to be servants of God's church are going to suffer, and it's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be discomfort. There's going to be inconveniences. But we understand that as the diakonos, as, as a servant of the gospel, that's part of the territory. It goes with it. You know, that's part of the job, as we would say. And, and here's what he says that his, his sufferings... Uh, will do. And here's what he says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings that I got to go through some things uh, for you. I got I to gotta say no to some things that I'd like to say yes to, uh, and it's going to hurt my flesh. And this is what he says. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, this is what is happening. All right? I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now that is a verse I know every pastor wants to skip over. Okay? No one wants to have to explain to the church what it means uh, that Paul is filling up something that Jesus Christ is lacking. And so we have to look at this text, because we've got to remember why the whole letter to the Colossians was written. Do you remember? Remember uh, verses uh, 15 
through, uh, through 20, what it talked about, that, that Jesus is Lord of all creation, that in him all things hold together, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, by the power of his word. There you go, flip that back. By the power of his word. And so what we have to look at is say, what is Paul saying? Because in the English, it sure looks like what he's saying is that Jesus was lacking something that I got to step in and, and make right, which a lot of us would love to step in right, and try to make something right. Uh, but that's not at all what, what Paul is saying here. He's actually, as a matter of fact, not saying that Jesus is lacking anything in and of himself, and especially in his salvific work on the cross. As a matter of fact, John 19.30, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, what, what does he say? It is finished, right? He, so whatever Christ did, it's finished. There is nothing that you and I can step in in time and space and try to make a little bit better, okay? You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't build the house and, and repaint it, so to speak, to make it work, okay? That's not at all what Paul's saying. But what Paul is saying is, is a really uh, poignant reminder in a provocative statement that he makes in order to make a necessary point. And there's a necessary point when Paul says that I'm filling up what is lacking. And this is what he's saying. He is saying that you and I are continuing a work that Christ had already established, right? That Christ had started his church. He says, and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And now I'm calling you to now go make disciples and go build my church, okay? In order for there to be a church, there had to be a savior of the church. And so there's nothing that you and I are going to add to the salvific work of Christ. But what we get to add is the very thing that Christ left us here to do. And that is to build God's church. That is for you and I to step out there and understand that our lives, as a matter of fact, don't revolve around our, uh, our career. Uh, they, don't, they don't, as a matter of fact, revolve specifically around our families. Our lives do not revolve around sports. Even in the great state of Texas, they don't revolve around sports. Uh, they don't revolve around anything other than the commission that you and I have been given by God who's established the church to go make disciples. And there are times where we're going to have to say no to the things we really, really, really want to do so we can say yes to the very thing that God has created us in Christ to do. The good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in that, we have the command and the responsibility and the stewardship to build God's church. And that's exactly what filling up what is lacking in Christ says right here. Continue with me in verse 24. It says this, that I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, and here's, here's how. Look at this. Look at the words. In Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is the church. So Paul's saying that I'm filling the needs of the church, and what I'm saying to you is that we need to fill the needs of the church. You and I have to make sure that what we are doing is prioritizing what does the church need. Now, let me, let me, let me clarify and split up an idea of you. When you think church, you think uh, when the pastor gets in front of you on a Sunday morning uh, and you get to listen to him preach and tell you what you're doing and what you're not doing, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. And I'm going to say, yes, that, that is very much what church is, but that isn't all that church is. See, church is the body of Christ that we've talked about week in and week out, the ecclesia that we've talked about, the congregation, the called out ones, the people, uh, although we may be gathered or dispersed, we are still the church. And so uh, regardless if it's serving on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or in a life group, the point of the matter is that we should always be prioritizing God's church or God's people in the local expression of the word. And so all those people in here, you, if you're a Christian in here this morning, you're part of the church. And you need to be uh, 
not neglecting that. You need to be not neglecting the fact that you are part of God's church or belittling the fact that God has a church or belittling the fact that this church down the road, I don't like them. I like the other church down the road. I quit going to that church. That pastor made me mad. That pastor's funny, but his preaching's terrible. You know, uh, that's not at all what we should be doing. As a matter of fact, instead of neglecting the church, we need to do this, and it's point number one. We need to get motivated to sacrificially serve God's church. We need to get motivated. It needs to be something that, that we don't just begrudgingly say, ah, if I have to. That's what the pastor's saying, and he's made a pretty good case that the Bible tells me that I ought to be serving the church, so I guess I'm going to go do this. No, as a matter of fact, we need to be motivated to serve God's church. And, and that's because it's that Christ has came to seek and save the lost. And if you are a part of God's church here, you were a one that he came to seek and to save, and he did. And if that doesn't motivate you to then go out and bring other sheep who are not of this fold into the family of God, I don't know what to tell you about the, the maturity that you have in your salvation. That if you don't have a burden and a desire to build God's church, to see people just like you, who did not know Christ, come to know Christ through the fruitful production of a healthy, fruitful church. You know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of inconveniences and have a lot of uncomfortable experiences when it comes to serving God's church. Right? I mean, we, we've all had stories and testimonies of times where it was so inconvenient and some bad things happened. I got a flat tire, so I couldn't go. Uh, we got in a fender bender. Uh, me and my family got in an argument, so we decided not to go. And as a matter of fact, this stuff happens so much, I'm just going to take a hiatus, and I'm not going to serve for a little while. Well, I want to remind you of uh, 2 Corinthians 11. If you can flip there in your, in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 11. You know, Paul, in this moment here, he's not really talking about all the things that he's been through in his life so we can love him a little more. What he's actually doing, he's calling out some false apostles who have been saying uh, to the church in Corinth that, you know, that Paul guy, you know, he's just not, he's not all there, you know, that he can't even speak well. Uh, the dude is not everything that he says he is. And as a matter of fact, these uh, false apostles are building themselves up to the, the church in Corinth saying that we're the real apostles, like we're the super apostles, as Paul calls them. And Paul's just trying to remind them, uh, you know what, that being a servant of Christ isn't just building yourself up in front of the people, right? It's serving when life is hard. It's doing the dirty work and the hard work uh, that doesn't get you noticed. And Paul was just giving them a reminder of, hey, if a super apostle isn't being inconvenienced and being burdened and not leading in a little bit of discomfort in their life, I'd like you to question their calling and especially question what they're saying. Because Paul wants to remind them here in verse 23. Uh, go ahead and look at verse 23 in chapter 11. And Paul calls them out, and he starts by saying this. Are they, are those false apostles, diakonoses? He used that word again. Diakonoses of Christ. Are they servants of Christ? And he says this, I'm a better one. And he's, again, not, not trying to you know, lift himself up. He's trying to make a good point, and he does. He says this. I'm talking like a madman. Of course, they've already talked about his speech and how his speech isn't great. And he says, uh, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near to death, Five times I'd received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That means he got beat a lot. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, uh, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, even the church, right? Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers like these ones I'm calling out right now. Uh, verse 27, 
In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Would you, would you have finished that paragraph that way? After you talked about being shipwrecked out in the sea, you've been beaten and stoned and whipped and you know, everyone hates you. And the last thing Paul says, you know what? I just have this great burden on me for God's church. Most of us are saying, I'm going home and I'm moving and I don't want any of these people to know where I'm going. That's not what Paul said. As a matter of fact, when Paul got stoned uh, there in the book of Acts, what happened was he got stoned and he got it back up and you know what he did? Went back into town and kept preaching the gospel. How inconvenient and uncomfortable is that? But what Paul knew is what I want you to know and what I've been reminded of this week is that we have got to be all about the work of ministry. We've got to be all about it even when it's inconvenient, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we have to suffer a little bit. God has called us to something way bigger than a nine-to-five job. Now, by all means, we ought to be working, right? Paul says in Scripture that if someone shall not work, he shall not eat. We're not talking about quitting your job, you know, all of us moving into a little compound together and, you know, be monks in New Braunfels. What we're talking about is be using all of the resources and all the things that God has given you and gifted you and use them to reach people for Christ, to use them to build up God's church. You see, no one was more motivated than Paul to look past his uncomfortable circumstances so he could serve the church. And so I want to give us a little, uh, a couple of ways that you and I can also look past our inconveniences and look past our discomforts in order to make sure that we're serving God's church the way that God's called us to do. And the first thing that we should do is this, that we need to understand that my inconveniences pale in comparison to others who have served the church. And that always helps me in everything that I'm doing uh, for God's church when I say that I'm going through some stuff, life is difficult, it's busy, uh, you know, I have a hangnail, I got an ulcer, uh, you know, I stubbed my toe this morning, and I just would like to go back to bed. And I look at this here, and I say, you know what, my inconveniences pale in comparison to others who have served the church. We can go back into church history, we can go into scripture. Right? You can knock on your neighbor's door who loves the church and ask them, hey, what are some inconveniences that you've dealt with over the past few months when it comes to serving God's church? I bet you, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, that they would tell you some much more difficult inconveniences and uncomfortable situations than you yourselves find yourself in. And I find those good reminders to look at the saints of God throughout history to see that, you know, my life is not so bad. And the sacrifices that I have to make aren't so bad that I couldn't give more of my time and sacrifice a little bit of what I'm doing to build up God's church some specific things you can do is this, to make plans to sacrifice some comforts to serve God's church. Uh, so many of us, uh, we actually don't make plans to sacrifice. You hear what I'm saying? So many of us get to the point of sacrifice, and that's when we have to decide, am I going to do that? Uh, hey, Life Group uh, is on the same night that my 42 tournament is on, and we do it every quarter, on the quarter, every year. Four times a year we have our dominoes tournament, and I just, now I'm here, and now I make a, make a choice, Okay. Well, how about instead of making that choice when you get to that point, make plans to sacrifice, to make plans to say, hey, when God's church is making a point to gather, when God's church is making a point to get together, to commune together, I'm going to make a, a plan now in my mind, in my life, to say whatever may come up in the future, I'm going to make a plan now to sacrifice some things that I would say yes to in order that I can say yes to what God is doing in his church Maybe for you, that's adding an evening of ministry. Some of you work real hard. You work long hours. Uh, 
But maybe you sacrificing and make a plan to sacrifice would be this, that you're going to add a night of ministry, that you're going to serve on a Wednesday night, that you're going to commit to going to a life group throughout the week, even though that you have a busy week. Part of your sacrifice that you're going to make as a diaconos, as a servant of God, is to add an evening of ministry. Or how about this? You know, you may say, I have a problem adding an evening of ministry. Well, why don't you cancel a longstanding meeting that you've had so you can add an evening of ministry? You see, many of us, we have a lot of recreational activity in our life. And all I'm saying is recreation's good. Vacation's good. Go on vacation. Right? When you're sick, don't come to church. Okay? But when you're able right, and when you can and when you can choose the Lord's church over your own recreational time, why not yes? And Paul makes a good case to say we ought to say yes to suffering for the sake of God's church that we may build God's church. You know, and some of those expectations of discomforting, discomfort in your life could be things like this. I added a new ministry. I got a late night. My kids are a little more grumpy. They're a little more hungry, and they're going to wake up a little more grumpy, and that just comes with a territory when we love God's church. We're going to teach our kids to love God's church grumpy tomorrow. And that could mean early mornings. As a matter of fact, we have a setup and teardown team. Did y'all know this stuff didn't just pop up here, just willy-nilly? We actually have a setup and teardown team who gets up well before the day, uh, probably 5.30, 5.45, and they go up to the building that we have uh, leased out that we're remodeling right now, and they go pick up a trailer. And that trailer is full of all this stuff that you see around us, plus some more stuff, and they drag it over here with a truck. They don't do it with their hands. And they, they, they pull the, the trailer over here, and they unload, and they set this whole thing up. And you know who takes it down? They do. So they're the first ones here in the morning, and they're the last ones to leave around 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They pull an entire day's worth of work just by being here to serve God's church. And so I'm saying that when we sacrifice to serve God's church, it's going to be late nights and early mornings. You're going to have less money. You're going to have less free time. It's going to be a lot less about me and a lot more about others. And that's just the territory of what it means to serve God's church. Christ says that I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Right? And that is not only the example, but the calling to which we have been called as Christians. You see, not only ought we be motivated to sacrificially serve, but our service in God's church is actually connected to a responsibility we have to God. And that can be found in verse 25. Go ahead and look at verse 25 with me in your Bible. Of course, he's talking about the church. We just saw that in verse 24. And he says, of the church, in verse 25, I became a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And so we know here the stewardship of, of the apostle Paul is a little bit different than you and I's stewardship. Uh, Paul was an apostle. So Paul was an apostle, and, and the apostle was somebody who uh, was given a, a mission by God directly from God. And Paul had that specific uh, ministry given to him on the road to Damascus when Christ had revealed himself to him after Christ ascended and gave Paul a ministry to go and build the church in the nation of the Gentiles, which has never before been a thing and throughout all of history. And yet Paul got this specific ministry to steward. And so when Paul is saying this, he's saying, my specific ministry is this, that Christ had called me to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And that job was to make the word of God fully known. 
See, that word stewardship, that's, that's also another great word that I want you to understand uh, in, in the context. The word stewardship, you and I would, would use the word stewardship in a lot of general contexts. Context, uh, if, you're, if you're a student in here and you're 16 years old and your parents buy you a car, well, you're a steward of that car, right? They've given you something and your job is to take care of it, use it, right, as an instrument and a tool to get you where you need to go so you can be a fruitful and productive teenager. Well, you would call that a stewardship. Uh, but this word stewardship has a lot more poignant, direct meaning uh, in the Greek language in ancient times. And it's this right here. It's another form of the word servant. And it's this idea of servitude that places someone over a home. Okay, over a home and of all the things that are in the home. And so when I have a stewardship in ancient times, that means the master has put me in his home. And in that home are full of treasures and, and people uh, and families, and, and all the things that would, be good, uh, that would be good in our own lives. And then the master would look at, at, the, at the steward here, at the servant, and say, do with this house what you need to do to allow it to produce, to allow it to be fruitful, to allow it to serve those in our community. Steward this house and do with it what you know I would want done. And so when Paul says that I am a, I am a, a dokinos, like I'm just an errand boy, and my errand boy work is really me sitting in God's house with God's things, doing with God's things what God wants me to do. And so when, when he's talking to us about uh, being a steward and being a servant, he's really saying this, we're all the errand boys and errand girls of God, and we exist with what God has given us, whether what house you live in, what, uh, what your bank statement says at the end of the month, the amount of kids that you have in your house and the neighborhood you live in is all God's and the fullness therein is all of his. And what he has asked every Christian to do is say, you are my steward. And I am asking you with whatever you have, everything that you have, to steward it for me in the way that I would have you steward it in the same way that I would steward it as God. And that's what he has called all of us to do, is to become stewards. And, and here is the, the end goal for being a good steward. Look at verse 25, the end of it. I need all of us to be good stewards because it makes the word of God fully known. See, one of the most explicit ways the church makes God's word fully known is right here, of course, right? In here, we know that we take time every single week to exposit God's word, to read it, to look at it, and say, what does this mean and how do I apply this to my life? But when we look at a house, we don't just have one day where we meet in the house, right? We just don't have the one time on Sunday where the pastor meets and he preaches the word. But what we have is we have a body, right? We have a, a dwelling place that's being built up in a way that pleases God, is what Ephesians says, right? That we are the, the temple of God. So what we have to understand is the stewardship that we have as a church transcends Sunday mornings, of course, we've got to understand that the stewardship that we have in God's church is a 24-7 responsibility. It's a stewardship that gets into your wallet. It's a stewardship that should get into your mind when you wake up in the morning. It's a stewardship that hops into your car and drives to work with you and gets out and waves at your coworkers. That's the stewardship that we have in Christ is that every area in our life ought to be permeated with the stewardship that we have from God to do God's will and to build up God's church. And because that's the truth, and because we know that to make the word of God fully known is that we, in all the aspects of our life, become good stewards of God's provisions. And that's point number two, is you need to work hard to be a good steward of God's provisions. 
that you, point number two, ought to be working hard to be good stewards of God's provisions. I was talking to a family from our church the other day, uh, and they, they were talking to me about you know, all the ministry that they've been doing lately and all the things they've been doing for the Lord uh, since they became a part of our church. Uh, and they kind of chuckled at the end of their statement because they said, you know, we have actually had to have a family meeting and uh, we've had to adjust our budget because we are hosting people so much. We are spending so much money on people and ministry that we've had to sit down and we've had to change the way we spend money in our house because God has called us to be good stewards of God's provisions. And I, and I chuckled inside and laughed because, as a matter of fact, we know we're being good stewards of God's provisions when we have to go back to our budget and our bank account and say, i got to start changing the way that I spend my money. My wife and I did this last week because the way that we stewarded God's money when we moved here from Southern California is different than the way that we steward God's money today. And so we had to get back together, think real hard, and start moving some numbers around in order that we could make sure that we were being good stewards of all the provisions God has given us. Now, it's not always about money, but it definitely is also about money. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so the gift, as a matter of fact, doesn't matter on what it is. It means that if you've received it, you're going to steward it. You're going to use it to build up and serve God's church. Some of you have to ask the question, well, well, how am I going to make the word full God, of God fully known? How, how am I going to do that with my stewardship? Well, I'll give you a couple of ways. You know, number one, what is your occupation? Like, what do you do? Uh, because as much as some of you would be like to be me and, and spend time 30 hours a week into the word of God trying to figure out how to curate a sermon that really motivates and, and influences the church to go do good works, you may not have that much time on your hands uh, to study God's word. And so you can't, like me sometimes, will pull out the Greek word for minister and steward and tell everybody how they ought to be loving the Lord. Uh, but you're also able in your job to get to a lot of places that I can't. A lot of you guys work in buildings with locks on them. A lot of you guys have security guards you have to walk through. A lot of you guys get meetings and influence people that I'd never be able to be found around. And the stewardship that you have is different than the stewardship that I have, just like my stewardship is different than the stewardship of apostleship, apostleship of the Apostle Paul. We all have a different stewardship. But we all have the same responsibility in our stewardship, and that is to serve, to use the gifts that we have to serve one another. Some of you say, you know what, I've actually had a lot of extra time on my hands. I've been working from home for the last couple of years. And you know what extra time is? It's a stewardship. Extra time is a stewardship for you to say, I could be using my time on social media. I could be learning a whole bunch of new recipes. And as a matter of fact, my garden has never looked better. And what God, God has to say is, what about that extra time of making God's church look better? What about that extra time uh, that I'm learning these new meals, that I'm serving the shut-ins in our church, that I'm serving with those meals that I've learned, the people who just got surgery or just had a baby, and I'm on a meal train now because I'm using uh, the gifts that God has stewarded me with that extra time and these new skills I've learned to pour in to the body of Christ. Number two, has God given you a particular measure of finances that he's allowed you to steward for him? This is a question I have all the time. You know, people, I just got all this money. <laughs> I'm like, 
That's nice. It must be real nice. I have all this money. What do I do with it? Well, what would God have you do with it? Uh, what Scripture teaches us, you know, to the rich, this is what I have to say to you, that you be rich toward others, right? That you be rich in the measure that you have riches, that in the measure that we have things, in the measure that we have time, that we ought to measure that out to be good stewards and serve the people of God. And just to catch all in the, in, for everyone else, right? Has God set you over teams and companies and classrooms? And if you're a mom in here and you're a stay-at-home mom, God has set you over a home and children. And he has asked you to care for your home and raise your children in the admonitions of the Lord. He's asked you to teach the word to your children. He has asked you to raise up your children in the knowledge of the Lord so when they might grow old, they would not depart from it. You see, we all have a stewardship, and it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of the biggest company in America or you're raising two little children in your home. We all have a stewardship, and the measure may be different, but the function is all the same, that we're using all the things that we have for the Lord. And to build his church. You see, and the painful fact that most of us have uh, understood this morning is that patterns in your life may need to change in order for you to steward what God has given you. And that's the the truth that we all have. As Christians, that's the truth, right? The moment that we've turned away from our sins and we've trusted in Christ, guess what has to happen? The patterns in our life have to change. That's the truth that comes with the gospel. And The same truth comes when it comes to stewarding what God has given us. We have to change the patterns in our lives. But Scripture says that the changes are always worth it. As a matter of fact, I want you to look at verse 26. This may be one of the the best verses in all of Scripture that shows us that God is doing something today in the church of God. In verse 26, it says this, that the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, you and I don't have the blessing. uh, We do have a big blessing, as a matter of fact, because we are the Gentiles that Christ has revealed himself to. But we don't have the uh, first century understanding of how big of a deal this was when Paul says there was a mystery and it was hidden for ages and generations and now has been revealed to his saints. There was something really important that happened when Christ came on the scene and he lived a perfect life and then he was crucified on our behalf. And when he was crucified and he said, it is finished, an earthquake happened, it got dark and the veil was torn in the temple. And the spirit of God was no longer in a building, but it was in those who had repented of their sins and had trusted in Christ. And that was indeed the mystery, the mystery of the Old Testament that the prophets could see dimly when they would prophesy. They, they would prophesy in the, in the prophets and say that I am going to make a new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant with you, and my word is going to be on your heart. He said, you will not have to go teach one or teach the other about my words because I'm going to put my words in your heart. That was a new covenant. And a lot of people were like, what does that mean? Because it was a mystery because it had never been revealed in all the ages. In all of ancient time, all the way until the death of Christ, it was a mystery and it was hidden because no one knew how God was going to come dwell with people again because we were so separated from God. We didn't know how God was going to come make himself known and be with his people again. And then we have here the beautiful truth that that mystery that was hidden for ages has now been revealed from all of history. 
to the New Testament. Now we have this secret that no one else got to see, that everyone looked forward to, but no one knew what it would be, and that you and I have the truth revealed to us. And this is a beautiful thing. To them, who? The church. To the church, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, which is you and me. If you're not a Jewish person in here, you're a Gentile. And this is what he says. He, he wants to make known how great among us are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Here's the mystery, if you want it in a short little pithy phrase. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. The mystery is that Christ is now in you and I. Christ is in all of those who would turn away from a life lived through themselves and to turn to God. And that's the mystery. Everyone's wondering, how can I ever be right with a holy God? How could I live in obedience to a God when I don't have the power in and of myself? Mystery solved. I have Christ, and he's in me, and he is what we call the hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? The hope of glory is this, that you and I now have a hope, which isn't a, I hope the Cowboys win. Y'all remember that sermon? I'm not, not saying I hope the Cowboys win a Super Bowl, which this year they might be, but that is the whole point about hope, right? We, it's probably still not going to happen. Anyway, uh, back over here. The hope of glory is this, that I have an eager, expectant reality that what I have trusted in is going to come to fruition. And the hope of glory that you and I have in Christ is that we know because Christ is in us, we have a promise of eternal life. As a matter of fact, what Paul has said in the letter of Colossians, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance, and it's stored in heaven, being protected by the power of God. Now, here's the great truth about this. If that's true, right, if, if the Christ is the mystery revealed to you and me, he's in us, what do we have to lose? If the hope of our glory is not here on earth, if it's waiting for us in heaven, it's being protected uh, by God and nothing can come and get it. Jesus said that, that moth can't come in and destroy it. Rust can't come in and destroy it. Robbers can't break in and steal it. If whatever it is, is it's there and it's protected by the power of a holy creator God, then what do I have to lose in giving up some things in this life to serve God's church? Well, if you came to that conclusion, just like me, I want you to do point number three, and that's get busy growing God's church. Like, I, it's time for us to be the people who are just busy about the work of ministry, knowing that, that we have nothing to lose here because all the things that we have hoped to gain is waiting for us in eternity. It is the hope of glory that we have because Christ is in us. Uh, here's the pattern of works of ministry that God has laid out uh, even uh, since the, uh, the apostles were here, right? Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. You jot that down. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And it says this, that he gave the apostles and the prophets, right? Uh, these were offices that God had given uh, to uh, first century, uh, the first century uh, Christians, the apostle Paul, the 12 apostles, right? Uh, and the apostles and the prophets are those people who wrote the New Testament, right? You have the prophets, right? You have John and Patmos who received a vision from God. He was a prophet. He wrote down these scriptures. So you have these two offices that God had given in order that we may have God's revelation given to us. And that was their job, to live in the life of the ministry of Christ, to help him steward that ministry there. Uh, they died off, and now here's what we have. We have the evangelists and the shepherd teachers. Uh, the English puts chi, well, actually it doesn't put chi. Chi is the Greek word and, um, and uh, that doesn't even exist in the Greek language when it says shepherd and teachers. Really, the lexical meaning of this is shepherd teacher, right? That the church has shepherd teachers. That means you have people who shepherd you, your pastors who shepherd you, which is poimen. That's what the Greek word pastor means, poimen. You have these shepherd teachers. It's not two different offices. 
it's the same office. Your, your shepherds ought to also be teaching you. And so now we have, in this age, in the church age, we have these people. We have evangelists and we have shepherd teachers. We have evangelists, people who go out and do ministry and plant churches. Those are evangelists. Then we have shepherd teachers who lead over the administration and the shepherding of God's church. And so this is what we have. And here is their job. This is the job of your shepherd teachers and evangelists in today's church. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You thought I was just making this stuff up, didn't you? Like it's right there in the Bible. The shepherd and teachers and the evangelists, we hear, we exist solely to equip you, the saints, right? You, that is you, that's you guys, the holy ones, the set-apart ones, the consecrated ones. That's what this word means. For the work of ministry. Like, your entire existence is for what? Work of ministry, right? Work of ministry. You exist for the work of ministry. And that's why I want, I want to, to, this morning to make it so clear in your mind that you exist for God's good purpose. And his good purpose is for those who have turned away from their sins and trusted in Christ, that you would be equipped to do the work of ministry so that you would build up the body of Christ. And that's why at Compass Bible Church, you know, we're, we're what, seven weeks old now? We're still a baby infant church. Uh, but what we make the promise is this. This is our promise that our mission at Compass is tied to the Great Commission, right? We're never going to call you in here and say, hey, we also want to build this little side gig over here, but we're also going to do some other stuff for Jesus. But really, this is kind of what I want to do. Um, and then when we have some extra time, we'll go over here and do what God wants to do. Uh, we made a commitment and a promise at Compass Bible Church, and that's this, that all that we do is going to be all that God has called us to do. So the, the only things you're going to see us do at Compass Bible Church are only the things that God has called us to do. So that everything we do is all that God has called us to do. And that we sum up our mission at Compass this way. We exist to reach people for Christ, right? to teach people to, to be like Christ, and to train people to serve Christ. And if you're like, yeah, it sounds a lot like the Great Commission. It is, right? That our job is to go into all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? teaching them all that He has commanded us. Right? That is reaching, teaching, and training. And we put it in, in that sentence here at our church to make it easy to understand that you know that when you come in here, uh, when you come in here on Sunday mornings, when you're a part of a life group, when you're serving God's church, uh, God's church as in this local expression as God, Compass Bible Church, you know that you're going to be doing only the things that God has called us to do. We're going to be reaching people for Christ. We're going to be sharing the gospel with people. We're going to make sure that you're trained up and prepared and ready to go and equipped to go and share the gospel with your family with your kids, with your neighbors, with those people who, who always cut you off when you pull out your neighborhood, you know, when you're going to work in the morning. We're going to equip you to share the gospel with those people. Right? We're also going to, we're going to teach you uh, to be like Christ. That means when you sit in here, uh, sometimes you may think, you know what, he hasn't really told me how to, how to be you know, a happier person. He hasn't really taught me this week how, to, how, to, how I could go and, you know, and make more money in my job if I just followed these three biblical principles because I'm not concerned that you make more money. Like, I'm not concerned that you're a happier person next week. I'm concerned that you would be like Christ, right? that you would live a life worthy of the calling that you have been called in Christ Jesus. And so you're going to hear messages that, that, that sound like this. Hey, look at verse 24. Look at verse 25. Flip over to John chapter 19. That's what you're going to get here because we're concerned about how we can be like Christ, not about how we can listen to Pastor Hayden tell us his best opinions about God. That's not what this is about. And that's why we do things like partners, one-on-one -on -one discipleship. That's why we do things like life groups, 
for everyone in our church. And that's why we do things like midweek, which is our midweek students and midweek kids. Uh, and the reason that we are unabashedly and unashamedly saying, you need to be in a life group, you need to be serving God's church, because we're not asking you to do something that, that just tickles my feathers. You know, I'm not asking you to do something that makes me happy. I'm asking you to do the thing that God has called us all to do, and that's to serve God's church, to be equipped to do the work of ministry. And that's all we do at Compass. And so when we call all of our people, make sure you're in community in a life group. Make sure that you go through discipleship, one-on-one discipleship, so you can be equipped to go share the gospel with those people you've been praying for for years. And that's why we exist. And that's why Compass exists. And we want to train you. Right? We want to train you. That's something that at our church may be different from some churches you've been to, maybe some ideas of church that you may have understood. Uh, in 2022, that's next year. And you know, that's next year, 2022. Uh, we are unveiling our Compass Leadership Pipeline. Okay, and that Compass Leadership Pipeline is going to be, exist completely to make you a great equipped saint to do works of ministry. All right, we're going to have meetings, uh, the whole church-wide, every other month, we're going to have whole church-wide trainings. And the other months, we're going to be training our leaders who lead all those ministries. And that's going to be one of the big things that we roll out in 2022, so we can make sure that whatever you do, you can work for the Lord. That whatever you do, that you have the skills and knowledge and that we equip you well enough for you to serve in every place you serve in order to honor and glorify God. And you feel competent to serve God's church well. And so we're rolling that out in 2022. I can't wait to share that with you in January, what we're going to do to train you to serve God's church. Uh, Something else we have coming down, uh, actually this summer, we have uh, all of our Compass Bible Church plants. We're all autonomous, we're all our own churches, but we're going to come together once a year, and we're going to have this, it's going to be called a national conference, a nationally equipped conference. And every single year, we're gonna, all our church plants are going to get together, the pastors of these churches are going to get together, and we're going to stand up, and we're going to talk about something that our world is dealing with. Uh, this year, we're, or this next year, uh, in June, we're meeting in Treasure Valley, Boise, Idaho, and we're having a national conference about the Word of God. Is it trustworthy? Is it true? Can we trust what God's Word says? We're going to learn all about that. And if you have questions about how do I know the Bible's real, how do I know, why do y'all preach the Bible all the time, those are great ways for you to come be equipped to learn about God's Word. We're doing it in Boise. The next year, we're going to be we're going to be in California somewhere. I don't know which one of those cities. We're going to be over there in Southern California. And you know year three, you know where we're going to be? Here. Right here. We're going to be right here in New Braunfels, Texas. Yeah, that, you should cheer about that. And here's why. Because you guess who, gets to, guess who gets to decide what we talk about here? We do. We get to decide what are people in New Braunfels dealing with when it comes to God's word and how can we equip them to deal with it better. And so not this next year, not the year after that, but the year after that, we're going to be having the National Equip Conference here in New Braunfels, Texas, where we can equip not only our church, but the whole country, people from all over the country, so that they can go back home and serve their church well. And so what I'm saying is when you're a part of Compass, we're always going to be imagining and, and working and thinking about how we can do better in equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And I, put, I think about it this way. Uh, in your life... You're always looking for things to invest in. I mean, that's what we're doing. You know, what's worth investing? You know what's worth investing? A home. A home's worth investing in, even though that sometimes the ceiling leaks and sometimes the floor creaks and sometimes I got to spend a little extra money here and there. We understand that a home is a great investment. You understand that some of the stocks right, that, that you invest in are worth investing and you're willing to pour money into those things so you can invest, so you can get a return. When I read scripture, 
it's really clear the best investment I can ever make. And that's in the one thing that is going to eternally last forever, and that's God's church. You know, God's church is the only thing that's going to last for eternity that you and I can see right now. It is God having set apart a people and an institution here on earth that we can look at and say, that thing right there is eternal. The work that they're doing is of eternal matters and eternal benefit. You can't say that about sports. Right? We can't say that about anything we do in the world other than God's church. That, that's eternal. And just like you when, you, when you find something worthy of investing in, you go all in and you go all out. And so what I'm calling our church to do over this next year, over this next two years, over the next decade, over the next 20 years, is that we would see the church as a worthy place to invest and that we would go all in so that we can go all out. Let us commit to that now and let's live that way as Christians, as Compass Bible Church. Pray with me. God, we do thank you that you, God, have set apart a people for your own possession. That although it's been a mystery hidden for the ages, that you have revealed them to us in Christ. The mystery hidden for ages, and that is Christ in us, the hope of glory. God, in that by trusting in you, by turning away from our sins, God, we can be a part of something that is of eternal significance. God, not only are we, are we saved, are we... Are we saved from the punishment and the wrath of God on all the ungodliness of the world? But God, that we also too can be part of what you're doing to make your name known in New Braunfels, in Texas, in America, and the world. So God, help us be uh, church members. Help us be servants, diakonoses, and stewards of all that you've given us that we could be most pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.